0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, go. <laughs> were hot, now they're not. And the Indians were not hot, and now they are hot. So it's amazing what a week will do, and good evening everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, along with Blake Watson. Boy, ah, got that all goofed up. Along with Blake Watson, we are going to bring you tonight the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, where we kick back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Blake, sorry for screwing that up, but glad to have you along tonight. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. It was a good weekend for the Indians, but I'll tell you what, you you can't tell how good this team is just simply because of the teams that they've played so far. Uh Six games with Detroit and three games with the Tigers, or with uh, the Kansas City Royals. You really can't tell how good this team is, but... They've gotten off to a pretty good start, which normally they haven't done under Terry Francona. So you got to be excited, especially the way uh, Reyes is hitting the baseball. I think they've found their center fielder in Ahmad Rosario, the way he's hitting the ball early in the season. And the bullpen, especially Class A, has really come through for the Tribe. So a little bit there to be excited about, even though it is just the first two weeks of the season.
1: Without a doubt, I mean, like you said, I don't think you can really, really say how good this team is. Um, they have the teams they've played are not very good. Um, I, I thought the Royals would be a little better than they've been. Um, I know they are four and three to start the year, so they're the, one of the only other teams in that division I'm over five hundred. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult to say how good any team is. You know, nine to ten games into
0: a year. Yeah, and and when especially when you now tonight the Indians are going to have a challenge because they're playing the team that both you and I thought would win the division in the Chicago White Sox, and the White Sox are throwing their what would appear to be their four best pitchers against the Indians, and they're starting off with Dallas Keuchel tonight. The Indians are going to go with their number five starter, Tristan McKenzie, but. I'll tell you what, this, this is gonna be an interesting series because it's gonna give you an idea, especially the next ten games for the Indians because they not only have four games now against the White Sox in Chicago, then they immediately fly into Cincinnati. And they're playing a three game set against the Reds this weekend, and then they go home and they face the White Sox again in a three game series. So these next ten games are really going to spell things out, I think, for the tribe, and also I think for the Reds. How do you feel, Blake?
1: Yeah, I think I, I agree with that for sure, especially with the tribe. I, I think going into this uh into this road trip, this West Coast road trip, which the Reds are never good on the West Coast. Um that we would find out a lot about this team. Um, and if they can find a way to finish this road trip off 500, anytime time you can go on the to the west coast and finish a road trip 500 or better, you're you're pretty happy with that trip. Obviously, you know we're feeling a lot different about the Reds after the last two games versus the previous six. But that's baseball, man. I still think the Reds are pretty good. Um, they obviously got shut out yesterday, but I, you, know, you can't judge it based on one game, just like you couldn't judge them based on the six games prior. The White Sox-Indian Series is a big one for sure for for this early in the year, Um, and it's one of those things, especially in baseball. You know, you may not win the game, but you want to play well. And if you if you if you see that they're competitive against the White Sox, that's really what you're looking for for the most part is to have competitive games. But again, baseball, man, it's such a crazy game that you can be you can win by 15 the next day, one day, and not score the next day. It's just just the way the game is. So, you know, it's so hard to make predictions over 10 games that, you know, you just can't really tell how good any team is right
0: now. Yeah, both teams are in first place. The Indians are in first, a half a game in front of the White Sox in the American League Central. The Reds, even though they they had a tough time in Arizona over the weekend, Blake, they're still 6-3 and they're a game up on the Cardinals and the Brewers in the National League Central. So... Obviously, all is not lost, but now tonight they're moving into San Francisco, and that that should be a pretty good series with the Giants, who are also six and three.
1: Yeah, I think it will be for sure. Um, and you get you know that Reds get Castillo and Mally to go in that series, so they, they should have. I'm not positive who the uh who the Giants are starting. I think it's uh, Gosman in, in Game Two against Castillo and Quaid on Game Three. You know, you got to think the Reds are a little bit better on the pitching staff side on those at least two of the three games. Game one will be Wade Miley um, for the Reds versus Aaron Sanchez, who's fished really well so far this year, only 1.8 ERA, but um, so is Wade Miley. So that that was kind of a toss-up. Game two will be exciting. It's an ESPN late-night broadcast, which is always fun. Um and then the big thing for the Reds is next time do the rotation, Sonny Gray comes back, so that, that should be a big big boost for them.
0: Yeah, he pitched a simulated game over the weekend, and the way I understand it, uh, he reacted very well to that. He pitched on Saturday. Now today is the day that they'll they'll really test him as far as what he's doing, but um, he he may even start the first game against the the Indians on Friday, as I understand it.
1: Yeah, that's kinda of where I understand he's gonna fall in line too. That would be Jeff Hoffman's start. And I mean Hoffman again pitched pretty well um against Arizona. Not great, pretty well. I mean he gave him a shot to win, the bullpen gave up really everything in that game. Um so I'm not I'm not sure that Hoffman's a guy I'd bump for uh for Gray. I might bump De Leon. Um but either way I think either one of those guys that get bumped is, is gonna help the team at some point in the end of the season.
0: Blake, let, let's talk about the suspension to Castellanos. I think both of us are on the same page with this, that that was just an absolute abhorrent decision by Major League Baseball to suspend Castellanos for two games. They did that uh late Monday, and he's appealing it, so he continuously gets to play until the Reds go into New York to take on the Mets later on in June, so... Uh, your thoughts about it? Although I pretty much know what you're gonna say. <laughs> it, it's a hundred percent
1: ridiculous. Um, being the fact that he was not the aggressor in equal any, any way, shape, or form during that fight. Um, he stood there with his hands behind his back for most of it. We've all seen the pictures. He he did celebrate scoring and he just you know give the left effing and go to the to the pitcher for the Cardinals, but. He was ejected. I mean, if you want to look at it anyway, that was the suspension he should have served. That's it. He shouldn't have been suspended. He shouldn't have been ejected. Um, but for him to get two games, it'll likely get brought back down to one after after the uh, after the the appeal process goes through what it's supposed to go through, um, and they'll likely schedule that on a day he would have been off anyway. Um, so it doesn't really affect him any at all. It's just another one. In a series of terrible decisions by Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred in the, in the disciplinary committee for the, for the baseball, I'm not sure who the guy is that took over that job that Joe Torre used to have. Um, but it's it's a joke. It's I mean, regardless, you saw on social media Cardinals fans calling it a joke, um, and, and it's just I mean, undoubtedly everyone agrees that it was completely the wrong decision, and there's just no no, no way you can justify it. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's one of those situations where he was upset at the Cardinals anyway because he he thought they were throwing at him. And, but he did it the right way. He took it. He came around to score, then just flexed his muscles at home plate on the pitcher that he accused of throwing at him. And if anything, it was Yadir Molina. That caused the ruckus more than Castellanos did because Molina, as he should, as the catcher and the leader of that team, wanted to protect his pitcher and got in between the two and started going off on Castellanos. But as you said, Nick just stood there with his hands behind his back, basically got out of the way of everybody else and just stood there and watched what was happening. It was a, it was, it was kind of a funny situation if you look at it, but then Major League Baseball turned it into something that is just, just a mistake.
1: Yeah, there's just no way around it. It's your flat out mistake. And I think for Reds fans especially, if this would have been a one game suspension from, from the get go and Yadier or Molina was suspended for one game, I think I could be like, okay, I get it. Everybody that was a part of the main, you know, that caused the benches to clear has been punished and that's fine. Um, I still don't agree with either of them being suspended, but I can see, I can justify it if both parties are being punished. The fact that Cassianos is the only one that was punished to the point of a suspension, and he was also fined, so were a few other people. Um, Molino was fined, but for him to be the only guy that loses a game action ever he gets drilled in the ribs with 93, whether it's intentional or not, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can't expect a person to get hit in the ribs with 93 miles an hour and just be happy about it. Um I just don't. I don't. I, uh, the big thing for me is it can't, and I don't think it will affect the way that Nick Castellanos plays the game going forward, um, because the Reds need that edge, um, and I, I don't think it will. But yeah, if they would have suspended Yadi too, I could have. I could have swallowed it a little easier. But yeah, another one of the, just a series of flat-out mistakes by Major League Baseball.
0: Yeah, Blake. There's two players I want to talk about tonight on each team, and let's start off with the Reds. And those two players are Tyler Naquin and India. But let's start off with Naquin. He has been outstanding in nine games played, 31 at-bats. He's hit five home runs, which leads the, the Reds in home runs. He's got 14 RBIs. He's the only Red right now that has double figures in RBIs. He's batting two ninety on the year. You know, I told you coming into this season, even before we started the show, Tyler Naquin was going to find a way into the lineup, no matter what. And he right now is doing exactly what the Reds need and what he needs to do in order to be an everyday ball player for David Bell.
1: I I agree, but I still don't know that he's going to maintain the level that he's played to, and I don't think he's going to maintain being an everyday ball player for the Reds all year long. Um, they, they went through a couple of tiki tack injuries with outfielders, where there's Jesse Winker with the cramp the other night in his leg. Um, he was out sick. Tenzel with the sho- shoulder that he hurt on opening day. Um, and is without a doubt, took that opportunity and ran with it. Um, I don't know... He's a really good outfielder. He's a great fourth outfielder for the Reds. Um, I just don't know when they're fully healthy. Who you sit to play him? Um, I don't. I would. If it's me, I'm playing Jesse Winker above Tyler Naquin. That's just Jesse Winker was the Reds' best offensive player a year ago, um, and Senzel has as much upside as anybody on the roster. And you're obviously not sitting Castellanos, so. The only options to get him into, into the lineup are getting creative once everyone's healthy, and I think he'll do a great job of getting giving those three outfielders days off here and there. Um, but I just don't see a spot where he's playing five of six games once everyone's healthy. Um, regardless, he's played fantastic. He's much better than I expected to me, and I always knew he could hit. Um, I didn't know he was as good of an outfielder as he is, Um, And, you know, the crazy thing about those RBIs, he's doing that out of the leadoff spot, almost primarily. And he's obviously not a prototypical leadoff guy either. Um, But the Reds don't have a prototypical leadoff guy. Nick Senzel's probably the best guy suited for that. But they're doing a good job of leaving him down in order to be protected and not expecting too much out of him, who's still a relatively young guy. Um, He's got a lot of major league service time. He's been injured so much, he's never really had a consistent you know, four or five hundred at-bats. Um, so, I, you know, Naquin has done a fantastic job. I just, as they move further into the season, I just don't see where he gets those consistent at-bats that, that
0: he's getting right now. Aha! Yet I do. <laughs> I told you before we went on the air, I wanted to bring up an idea, and I'm going to bring it up right now, before we get into Jonathan India, but... I've got a way for the Reds to get everybody in the lineup and take one guy out that is not, has not, I think Reds fans would be fine with this. You sit Joey Votto, you move Castellanos to first base, and you play Naquin, Winker, and Senzel in the outfield, and when, and when, uh. Uh, Shoshania Ota, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Otano? Jumbo Akiyama. A- Akiyama, when he comes back, which will be from what I understand in just a couple of weeks, um, you've got that fourth outfielder. But Blake, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm tired of hearing the stuff about Joey Votto that he's hitting the ball hard and he's hitting it right at people. He has done that now for the last three years. And he after actually la- has it. Yeah, I mean, t- three years ago he had a pretty decent year. But other than that, I mean, he has been on the downslide of his career and he he's a guy that I think they've either got to try to unload or sit him down for a while.
1: I I just, I, I just don't see a place in the world where that happens. Hey, I don't care who you are. If you are anything but the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Mets, you don't sit a guy making $20 million a year. You just can't do it. Um, you also don't get rid of a guy. You can't get rid of a guy making $20 million a year because you can't pay a guy that much money to not play. Um, so that's just not, to me, I just don't think that's going to happen.
0: Even to the detriment of, of the way your team plays.
1: I, I don't see it happening. Now, I would move Joey Votto in the lineup, but I don't take him out. And I, I I would argue that he is hitting the ball harder than he's hit the ball in a long time, and he is a product of a lot of really bad luck right now. Joey Votto has ten balls that he's hit that grade over 98 miles an hour exit velocity. Of those ten balls, only two are hits. And if you hit a ball above 90 miles an hour, the expected on or batting average is almost 400. So he is definitely. A product of of some bad luck at this point in time. Now, Joey Votto will never be the Joey Votto of 2010, 2012, 2015. It's not going to happen. Um, but if Joey Votto is batting sixth, batting seventh, and he's hitting, gets, finds a way to hit 270 and hits 20 home runs, you live with it. There's a whole lot of teams in baseball that don't get that out of their first baseman. Now, that doesn't justify his, his pay scale, but that's already, That's already in the bag. You can't worry about what you're paying the guy. Um, But there's no way they move away from Joey Votto playing first base every day. It's just not going to happen.
0: Well, and I I think his hitting is affecting his defense also. Um, You've seen him play defense over the last couple of years, and his defense has gone downhill also.
1: Without a doubt. And when Joey Votto first came up to the big leagues, he was a bad first baseman. Very bad. And then he worked himself into being a gold glove caliber first baseman. He became pretty good. Um, and then now, it's. I think it's partly his offense that let he's, that he's carrying out to the field with him. But any part of it is, he's just old. Um, I mean, he, he's 36, I think 37, and he plays like it. He really belongs in an American League park where he can designate a hit half the time. Um, and But the problem with that is, Unless it's a bad team, they're likely not going to let him DH. They want somebody in that spot that's more that produces more. Now, would he produce more if his legs were not in better shape because he wasn't playing defense? Possibly. Um, he, I, I I was a little bit excited about Joey, you know, retooling his swing and trying to swing for more power. But at this point, I honestly wish he would go back and try to become the on-base machine that he was, um, and quit worrying about trying to hit just try to figure out a way to get on base. Because if you were getting on base at a 400 clip, regardless of what his batting average is, people wouldn't be crying. So I see I see your point, and if you're you're managing a fantasy baseball team in a vacuum, 100% you make that move. But I don't think it can happen in the real world. I don't think... I mean, you could sit him for a time, and maybe he becomes a little more of a platoon-type player. Um but I just don't see it happening anytime soon.
0: Blake, I, I don't see it happening either, but I'll tell you right now, if they get into July and they are still in the running for a division and Votto is still hitting the way that he's hitting, which right now uh, Joey Votto hitting 162, no homers, just three RBIs on the season, and he continues to hit like this, Blake, you got to make that move.
1: I would agree with you, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I-, I would make that move, but I don't think it's going to happen. Regardless of what's going on. But I also think if the Reds are in the hunt in July, Joey Votto not hitting 212 is going to be part of it. Um, so I think he will find a way to get hot at points. I think he's going to become more of a streaky guy as opposed to what he used to be. Um cuz when he came back from the benching last year he was knocking the ball out of the ballpark. Um he still only hit 210, but who didn't last year? Almost everybody hit 220 last year. So it's it's really hard to see a, a way that the Reds move on from Joey Votto unless Joey Votto decides to walk away. Now, I see Joey Votto as a very proud guy and if he continues to play it the way he's playing, he might walk away. He might retire. Um, because I don't think he's the kind of guy who wants to tarnish what he was, once was by trying to hang on when he can't play anymore. In um, reality, you know, that's also easy to say when I don't have $70 million left on the table in three years. Um, so <laughs> I, it'd be really hard to walk away from three years and $70 million too. So Because he, he signed through the 2024 season, which is his age 40 season, which is crazy. Um and and by that time that contract, he will not be worth what they're
0: paying him. Right. Let, let's talk a little bit about Jonathan India. India, and I apologize, I was mistaken earlier, India has got 11 RBIs, so he's the other red that is in double figures in RBIs so far. And India is hitting three seventy nine on the season. So far, Blake, he is not disappointed at second base.
1: Not even a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, I talked about it in, in – our first show that I kind of want, think he's got a shot to be a top five finisher in the, in the rookie of the year voting. Um, now I don't think anybody thinks he's going to hit 379 for the year and be the second leading RBI guy for the Reds, especially if he hits seven. Um, but I think Jonathan India is a very good baseball player. Uh, and he's also one of the only plus defenders the Reds have. Um, he, he's made a couple plays in second base it, Remind you of Brandon Phillips almost. A couple of balls he's fielded behind the second base back and thrown out. That's part of, just like Brandon, he, you know, he came up a shortstop, third baseman, left side of the infield guy, so he's got a really strong arm, um, got really good hands. I, I really like, there's no reason to have any negative things to say about what Jonathan India has done other than the fact that David Bell shouldn't sit him yesterday and play uh, Kyle Farmer. Um, I know he's looking for a way to get Farmer at bats, but uh, I is not
0: the guy I fit at this point. Yeah, I, I never understood a manager that will take a guy out that is hot. And that's exactly what they did the other day, if you recall, when Naquin uh, sat because Winker came back. I think I'd have found another place to fit Naquin into the lineup. When you got a guy that's hot, Blake, ride him.
1: Well, yeah. The, the, the problem with that is Waker needed to get back in the, in the lineup, and Senzel was hot too. Senzel was coming off of a couple multi-hit games in a row. So if, if I if I got a especially early in the year, if I got to make a decision on whether to play Senzel or Naquin, um, I want Senzel to feel better longer because I think he's more important to the future of the team than Naquin is. Um, that that being said, you know Naquin has a huge first half, and the Reds fall out of it. That's a trade chip. Um, so. There's a lot of juggling going on for, for David Bell right now, but it's good juggling. You're trying to get guided back and you have to sit somebody. Um, so, so you just make a decision and you roll with it. Now, Naquin didn't end up getting in that game because Winker got hurt, but it, it, you know, I, I see what your point is, but I probably play Senzo and sick Naquin on that day. Then Naquin comes back and plays the next day. So, you know, it, it, it's a it, managing a baseball team at the highest level is a very difficult job. It's and it's harder when you're playing well because you've got to find ways to continue to try to win, plus get dudes that are on your roster enough swings where they're comfortable in the spots you need them to be comfortable in. When you if you you know Naquin doesn't play for a week and you expect him to pinch a home run, it doesn't work that way. Um, so it, it, it's a good problem to have, but it's definitely a problem.
0: Well let's flip over to the Indians. There's a couple players that I want to talk about uh them this ap- this evening and that one of them is Fran Mill Reyes. Reyes is the Indians full time DH and he has gotten off to a solid start. Four homers, seventy RBI or seven RBIs. Boy, if he had seventy after eight games, boy, that'd really be something. Um and a three thirty three batting average Reyes is doing exactly what I think the Indians wanted him to do coming over from Kansas City, and that's giving them the power right-handed bat. His problem has always been laying off the low and outside curveball, and so far this year, Blake, he's been able to do that and force the pitchers to go deep into the count, and he's put the pitchers into a fastball situation, and it is really paying off for him. So far, he's been really the, the Indians leader as far as offense is concerned so far.
1: Yeah, and he's still pretty young. He's only 25 years old. So you really don't know what he is yet. Um, so, so this could be the year that he becomes what they think he could become, or he could continue to go back and play to what his baseball card has been and be, you know, just a solid baseball player. And he's okay. He's fine. He's been fine his whole career. Um, but, I think you're right. He's putting himself in the right position to succeed. That's the main thing, especially middle order of the bat. If you're middle of the order of bat, and you can find a way to hit fastballs. You're going to win more than you lose. Um, and you know, obviously, winning more than you lose in baseball is hitting 300, not hitting 600. But um, he, he's doing a fantastic job so far for the Indians. And he's one of their bright spots for sure.
0: Yeah, the other player I wanted to talk about was Ahmed Rosario. Now Rosario is one of the players, along with Jimenez, who came over from the Mets in the Francisco Lindor trade, and Rosario and Jimenez were both shortstops. Now Rosario played second last year for the Mets, and Jimenez played shortstop, but Rosario came up as a shortstop and is probably uh, as good, if not better, at short than Jimenez, but because of the age difference, 25 and 22, you got to go with Jimenez right now because the the ceiling is higher for him. But Rosario has also got a high ceiling. The Indians went out and signed Cesar Hernandez to a two-year deal to play second base for them. So where do you put Rosario? Well, the opening popped up in center field. And Blake, the last week in spring training, they, they tried him out in center field. And it turned out to be a pretty good uh experiment. And then the other night against Detroit, on Friday night, they put him out in center field in his first major league game. And you know what the old saying is in baseball, when you've got somebody new, the ball finds you. And immediately against Detroit, Robbie Grossman hit a fly ball to deep center field, and Rosario went back like an experienced center fielder, and caught the doggone thing after taking his eye off the ball twice to run back to check where the fence was and ended up making a nice over-the-shoulder, over-his-left-shoulder catch and getting it back in quickly. You know, Rosario, is he ever going to be a gold Glove center fielder? Probably not. But right now, I think he is what the Indians need out in center field. And, and even Jordan Luplo has been playing well. Luplo's hit a couple of homers. Rosario's hitting 250, but he's going to hit better than that. And Leplo's probably going to end up at about 250. But this center field experiment, I think with Rosario and putting him in the leadoff spot, or Jimenez, it's turning out pretty well for the Indians so far.
1: Without a doubt, it reminds you a lot of what the Reds did a couple years ago when they
0: moved Senzel to center. Yeah. Um, the guy's always been an infielder, been an infielder his
1: whole life, but he's athletic. Um, he can run, he's got good hips, he can spin. And if you can play shortstop at the major league level, you can play any position but catcher. Um, So that's not hard. Center field, it's a lot of running, a lot of angles and things like that and stuff you don't see typically. But if you're athletic, almost anybody who's athletic can at least be an okay average outfielder. And obviously Rosario's athletic because he's been a big league shortstop. So if he can play shortstop, he can play center field. Um, and we've seen that with Senzel. Now, I do think Senzel is a gold-glove-capable center fielder. The guy's really good. Um, but and that might be the case with Rosario, too. He can run a little bit. He's very fluid athletically. Um, so you could see him turning into a plus defensive center fielder. Now, will he ever really hit? Nobody knows. Um, he hits enough to get to the big league, so, you know, you don't know if he'll hit enough to be a legitimate middle-of-the-order kind of guy, but not everybody has to be. So I think Rosario and center field is a good fit for the Indians. He's a solid baseball player who's really athletic, who can make every catch he needs to make. Now, are there going to be growing pains, of course? Are there going to be balls he misplays off the wall? Absolutely. But that's because he hasn't played outfield. So he'll figure it out. Kenzel did it when he was a rookie first-year outfielder, too, and now he's become a very good outfielder. So, it, it, I think Rosario is a good fit there. I think it's a good move for the Indians. I don't believe they have
0: really a center fielder of the future on their, you know, 40-man at this no, point. Not really.
1: So, maybe that's maybe that's where he sticks. And, you know, if he wasn't good enough to overtake, I don't remember who the other guy's name is, it's shortstop.
0: Jimenez. In, in, yeah, if he wasn't good enough to overtake Jimenez in...
1: New York, then he's probably, you know, in the right spot playing center field. Um, Taylor Hernandez is a solid second baseman. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he wasn't gonna play third. So to get him in the lineup, find a way for that kid to help your ball club, yeah, I love the idea. I love the and I love when teams that aren't expected to be really good try things like that. Just like the you know, the Reds with Naquin. Like they tried something and it's worked. Now, is it always going to work? Who knows? But, you know, you don't know if you don't experiment and try different things. I love that with a baseball team. I argue all the time with teams. that, You know, I see it at the college. that will roll your same nine out there every single game. And it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, let these kids move around. Let them try a different spot. You never know. Some kid, especially if the kid above the other kid, is terrible. I, I remember talking to a kid on our team a few years ago saying, yeah, the kid played third base above me, he's not very good. I'm like, yeah, no, but we don't think you're very good. Um, (laughs) Like, we just don't think you're better than he is, and that's fine, I get it. But we played the kid, and he raked. He wasn't ever going to be a good third baseman, but neither was the kid already starting. Just because he had a preconceived notion that he was better, that's dumb. So we put him out there, and the kid absolutely raked all summer long. So why wouldn't you play him? You know what I mean? Why don't you try different things? I hate managers get stuck in their way of doing things. That was one of my, always one of my gripes with Dusty Baker. He always just managed the team one way. He never changed things up, never tried things differently. And, and, you know, especially with a young ball club, which the Indians are, you gotta try different things. So I, I really like the move.
0: And keep in mind Dusty Baker, which is, is, I know it's a little bit before your time, but when Dusty Baker was a player, with the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Cubs. He was a player, Blake, that played on teams where the lineups were set. They didn't do, and they were set because, especially the Dodgers, that Dodger lineup when he was with the Dodgers was set because they were so good at every position, much like the Big Red Machine back in the 70s, that they didn't have to move people around. And I remember when Sparky... Anderson moved Pete Rose from left field to third base. And the day that he did it, he announced that he would be doing it. The very next day, it was a Friday. They were playing a Thursday night game. He said, this would be Pete's last game in left field. Tomorrow, we're moving him to third. The entire city went nuts. They couldn't understand why he would be moving Pete Rose to third base. But it was to get George Foster in the lineup. And the same thing You know, I understand where you're coming from with Dusty Baker, but that's the mentality that he always had as a player. You didn't move people around. Now, the more you get to managers that have been with teams that did that, for example, look at what Kevin Cash is doing with Tampa Bay. He's a disciple of Terry Francona, who moves people around all over the place. And Kevin Cash does the same thing with Tampa Bay, and they win. So you're absolutely right. When you look at a manager that isn't afraid to try something new, more times than not, they're going to be successful at it because that manager knows what that player can do.
1: Right, and that's always been my thing. Give me, give me eight to nine baseball players. I don't care what position they play. Give me baseball players. I'll find a way to make the lineup work. Um, I love having guys. He can play multiple positions and move all over the diamond and help you out in different ways. Like, I love Kyle Farmer. The dude can catch. He can play short. He can play corner outfield. Like, how many guys in baseball can legitimately do that? Not many. Um But the guy can't be an everyday player. But having a guy that can come off the bench and get six different dudes a day off in a week is great. Yeah. I love it, man. I love experimental stuff. I love guys that move around. I was You took the words out of my mouth. You know. Dusty might have been on really good teams. He wasn't on team better than the great red machine, or the big red machine. And Sparky did it with, you know, his, maybe not his best player, but his most important one, right? Yeah. People will definitely tell you that Pete was kind of a linchpin of that team. Um and then probably Joe, Morgan, but um, because they knew they had to get George Foster in the lineup. And give me a guy like Pete that's willing, who's a all-world third baseman, who's one of the best ever played, surefire Hall of Famer if he doesn't do his other stuff, and he's the one that told Sparky get towards Foster and lineup. I don't care, I'll move. Yeah. So I love dudes like that. Like, like people in Cincinnati were killing Suarez for you know not being a good defensive shortstop. I love the fact that that guy is willing to go from being a very good defensive third baseman who's one of the best offensive third basemen in baseball and just say, hey, I'll move to short. It's the best for the team. Let's go. Yep. And he's done a pretty good job outside of the first game of the season. He's made a couple of plays that are like, holy crap. Um,
0: well, So, re- yeah, I love dudes like that. Remember Cal Ripken Jr.? Cal yep. Ripken Jr. came up as a shortstop, moved to third base because Baltimore had – And nobody will remember this, but a kid named Hardy that was playing shortstop for them that was an outstanding shortstop. And then they, Hardy just fell off the face of the earth, and the Orioles were in dire need of a shortstop, and they moved Ripken back to short. Now, Ripken could have pulled an ego trip and said, I'm never going to be able to break Gehrig's record doing this. I'm staying a third. He didn't. He moved to short because he knew... That was for the betterment of the team. And there's a lot of other players that have done it also. I mean, you can go all the way back to Babe Ruth who moved from the mound out to right field because he knew he was losing his pitching arm. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of other players. You know, Johnny Benches last year moved to third base.
1: Yeah, the best catcher that's ever played the game, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Moves to third base. Tony Perez. I mean, you want to talk about the big red machine and what they did. They moved Lee May who had hit Something like 31 32 home runs in 71 to Houston to get pick up Joe Morgan when the Reds already had a first baseman, a second baseman, and a third baseman in Lee May, Tommy Helms, and Tony Perez at third. They make this deal to get Joe Morgan. They trade their first baseman. They trade their second baseman and they move their third baseman. The first base and Tony Perez pick up Dennis Menke, who really couldn't hit his weight, and Joe Morgan, who more than made up for Menke at second base. So I mean it it's a it's an organizational thinking, is what I'm saying, Blake. The the Reds at that point in time, Bob Hausman knew that the team had gone as far as they could go the way they were built. They needed to make a splash, and they made a splash with that deal, and that's the trade that made the Big Red machine. But there are other teams that could do the same thing.
1: Without a doubt, and that's, that's one of the reasons I like the Rays every year, because they do it a little different. Um, they do it the old school way, the put it in play way. But you're 100% right. The Reds of the 70s traded you know, two all-star level players in Lee May and Tommy Helms. Tommy Helms, who's... Still lives in Cincinnati, or did until a couple years ago. Um, he, they they just, it took, to get Joe Morgan. And Joe Morgan was the guy that ended up turning them from a really, really, really good team into the big red machine. Um, you know,
0: when yep. he up back,
1: back MVPs and, and he was a really good player in Houston, obviously, but, you know, he wasn't what he was once he came to the red. So, <clears throat> Without well, a doubt. Organizational thinking, and I like it. I, I, I actually, I, you know, I'm one. I'm not a huge David Bell fan, but I like that the Reds are, are more, um, more locked in on some analytic stuff, and not they're not as far gone as you know the Billy Bean Oakland A's, but they definitely are, are using that stuff. You know, it, it, it's a, it's you're crazy if you don't use every tool at your disposal now. And that is a tool, whether you, you know, you don't live and die by it, because you and I can still go out and watch a guy. Oh, his exit velocity is great. Yeah, but he can't hit. Who cares? Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't matter. Like, I, I I'm the same. I, I like both sides of it, and I think the Reds are doing a pretty good job of managing both sides of that.
0: And that's what's driving me crazy about the Indians and this Jake Bowers experiment at first base. I, Blake, I've watched this guy over two and a half years. He is not hitting first baseman. You know, you want somebody at your corner positions that are going to mash the ball and drive in runs. If they're not going to mash the ball, they at least got to drive in runs and have a high batting average. This guy can't do either. I mean, right now he's hitting 77 In 13 at-bats, he's got one hit, and that was a squibber. He got no hits, basically, in spring training. And... He ends up winning the first base job to platoon with Yu Chang because Bobby Bradley had more options and they could send him to Columbus and keep Bowers. It's time to cut your losses for the Indians. Get rid of Jake Bowers, bring up up Bobby Bradley, who's a left-handed hitter. You can platoon him with Yu Chang if you want to at first base and see what happens. But that gives the Indians a lot more flexibility because Bradley can play the outfield, he can D.H., Chang can play the outfield. He can play third. He can play short if if he has to. He's brand new at the position of first base. But you talk about guys that are flexible and can move all over the infield like Francona wants them. Bowers isn't that. But the other two guys, Bradley and Chang, are. I think it's time to just, you know, just fish or cut bait with Bowers and let's just get rid of him and move forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can agree with you. I don't watch the Indians closely enough to know what they see in Bowers. Um, there, there's gotta be something there that they continue to give this guy opportunities. I don't know what it is. I haven't seen him. Obviously we're not there behind the scenes. Um, but there has to be something. I, I don't know how that Terry Francona would continue to run a guy out there who just flat out can't play. Yeah. Um, even if they put him you know, the the management put him on the roster and told him you have to deal with it. I just don't see Terry Francona being the guy that plays him just because he's told to. Um
0: And I don't see the I don't see the Indians front office telling Francona that he's gotta play somebody. I see this as them just trying to get Bobby Bradley more at bats in the minor leagues. But there comes a time, Blake, where you you just gotta throw a guy into the fire and let him either fish, you know, sink or swim yeah without a doubt and the big thing will be what
1: happens in a month right if the indians have a month where they go you know 20 and 10 or they have a month where they go 10 and 20 um what changes what what does the direction change it it, it comes back to what we always keep talking about every time we talk about you know, they are just they're rudderless right is it time to blow it up or is it time to continue to try to win. And, you know, they're above five hundred now, so it looks like it's time to continue to try to win. Um, so do you want a guy cutting his teeth at the major league level? Probably not. Um, but if the guy above him, like we talked about a few minutes ago, is terrible, then what does it matter? Why shouldn't he just cut his teeth there because he can't be any worse? Um, so there's, ah, there's a bunch of different ways to look at it, man. I just don't think the Indians, as an organization, lack direction and which way they want to go. Um, because in all honesty, you know, we talk about it all the time, I would be moving every piece that's useful to someone else that isn't named Shane Beaver right now. Um, I would try to get something out of every one of those dudes and, and start building for two years from now. Um, you know what I mean? That's, that's just there's no, They're not good enough, as currently constructed, to win a world championship. I think they're in a different position than the Reds, because I don't think the Reds are either. But the Reds have been bad for so long they have to be good, at least competitive to 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 keep the fan base from losing every ounce of belief in that in that organization. The Indians have built up enough equity within with around the fan base where if they had a couple years and they were transparent about what they were doing, I think it would be okay. Um, the Reds couldn't do that. There's no way the Reds tried to now the Reds are fifteen games out this year. They'll trade Castellanos. They'll trade stockers. They'll trade everything not bolted to the floor. Um, and, and they probably should, uh, but that's just because they're poor. Um,
0: well, I mean, when you I, look I, at, when you look at the Indians, Blake, um, the, the fans already think that the Dolans are cheap and won't sign anybody anyway. And so it, it's a little bit of a different mindset in Cleveland than it is in Cincinnati because the Reds have proven that they'll sign people. Mustakas and Castellanos. They'll prove yeah. it. Look at Votto for crying out loud. Right. You know? Uh,
1: I think though, the difference is outside of that Votto deal, I think the Reds saw an opportunity when they signed those guys and thought they had a window of a couple of years they could compete. The Indians could have went out and signed whoever this offseason and does their window really Get bigger. Um, unless it was a, you know, a legitimate, if they go outside Trevor Bauer back, that's different. That opens everybody's window back up. But if, you know, you signed some borderline type major leaguers, you know, <laughs> how much does it really affect you? And the Reds broke it all the way down outside of Otto. I mean, they were really bad. They had that good run in 2010 through like 2014, 15 where they were pretty good and they broke it down for two or three years. And then they saw, you know, a couple of young guys starting to, to pop. Suarez was hitting. Um, Senzel looked like the real deal. Winker looked like he's going to hit. So they went out and got some pieces to add to it. It kind of all started when they traded for Sonny Gray the year before they traded for Trevor Bauer. Um, that, that's where it all, their, their rebuild started to turn from a blow it up to an actual rebuild. And without, regardless, it, it, it has worked because it got into the playoffs last year. And they seem like a team that's got a good shot to get into the playoffs again this year. Um, Maybe a starting pitcher away, but who knows what's going to happen if Gray's healthy. Um, But I just don't – I think the Indians never set a clear directive on the way they were going. I mean, if you look back to that 15-16 era Reds team, every player on those teams is gone except for Joey Votto. That's not the case. I mean, I know the Indians really don't have much left from when they were good. Jose Ramirez is really it. Um, but the, that's a piece that could have got you something. And I think there's the Reds did screw up a little bit by waiting too long on some of those pieces. They rolled his Chapman trade. They didn't get enough of Johnny Cueto. They didn't get enough out of. Um, well, their big mistake. Their
0: big mistake was the contract that they signed Homer Bailey to and let and let Cueto go. And what they yeah, got, what they got for Cueto, was just crap.
1: Well, I, I would argue that it. It was, but two of those really good th- of the three left-handed arms, they were three legitimate top of uh, Kansas City's uh, farm system left-handed arms. And two of the three have been hurt, and one of them's out of baseball because he got hurt so bad. Um, Brandy Finnegan made a little bit of a comeback this year, um, but Cody Reed was way down in the minors. He ended up pitching in the bigs a little bit, but he was never going to be who they thought he was. Um, so I think a lot of that trade was bad luck, and you know how it is. Anytime you trade for prospects, it's never a sure thing. Right. Um, but the, the whole thing about that Homer Bailey trade—I, I, I, I mean—I agree with you, but I hate when people bring that up, the Homer Bailey contract, because they didn't want to sign Homer Bailey more than they wanted to sign Johnny Cueto. Homer Bailey came up for free agency before before Johnny Cueto. That's what boiled down to. They could have not signed Homer Bailey. But then there it was no guarantee they were going to sign Cueto in a year anyway, so
0: they could have signed I, I, they could have signed Cueto to the same contract that they gave Bailey, and at the time and at the time Blake, I remember thinking this Cueto was still a better pitcher than Homer Bailey was anyway.
1: Oh, he was way better, but the it was all about timing. It was all about timing because Bailey was up a year prior to Cueto. That's what it boiled down to. Um and, and the deal that Cueto got when he became a free agent was much more than than Homer Bailey got.
0: Right. But they could have offered Quato the same deal that Bailey got and I bet he would have taken it. Uh I mean they could have a year early, but they didn't have to. They right. didn't need to. They him a year later. <coughs> that, um, so it wouldn't have been the same thing. He,
1: he signed when he signed with, with the Giants, it was a six year hundred and thirty million dollar deal. That wasn't nearly what
0: Homer Bailey made. No, um, but, well, huh. <laughs> Homer, Homer Bailey, yeah, that was a $20 million deal uh, for Homer Bailey. But nonetheless, hey, I want to I jump real quick before we sign off tonight. You mentioned Trevor Bauer, and I find it interesting that Major League Baseball made their decision on Nick Castellanos within a day, and now all of a sudden they've got, they've got this dilemma with Trevor Bauer from opening day where they say they've got several baseballs that he cut and doctored in his opening day performance for the Dodgers. But yet, it's taken them now, what, almost three weeks? And they still haven't made a decision?
1: It's crazy. Uh And that's the whole point of them pulling the baseballs, right? It's to find out what they look like after the game. And I, I don't really like the way they're doing it with the pulling them after the game. Well, if if an opposing team's got a problem with it, they should call it out during the game. Um, Because who knows? Prove that he cut the baseball. Prove it. Prove that he is the one to put the fine car on the baseball. I don't know how you're going to prove those things. Um, And they use so many baseballs nowadays. I just don't know. I don't like the way they're doing that. I think it should still be something that's handled on the field in games. Because if he's cutting the baseball in the first inning, and the friggin' uh, Padres or whoever they're playing see it, he needs to be ejected. Like, he needs to be kicked out of the game. Um, I thought he was doctoring baseball last year. I really did. I didn't argue with it because he was pitching for the Reds and he wanted to try young. But... I I don't know. I think it's crazy how long it takes them to discipline those guys when Cassianos gets suspended the next
0: day. I, I never thought he was doing anything illegal when he was with the Indians. I never saw anything even close to what they're accusing him of with the Dodgers. Um And it, it's interesting. It's almost like now all of a sudden he's the highest paid player and they want a way to bring him down. That's well, it. not
1: just the highest paid player. He's also extremely outspoken.
0: Well, yeah, but you know what? He backs it up.
1: For sure, but, like, the day they suspended Campionas, one of the biggest tweets on Twitter was Bauer bitching about it, Um, and I love it that he, you know, even though he's not with the Reds anymore, he's still coming to the defense of his guys, but he will call out Major League Baseball right now, and they're going to find a way to screw him. That's another one that's, like, did he really doctor the baseballs, or are they just trying to muddy his reputation um, because he is crushing them in the court of public opinion? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult one, and I can tell you that if it's one with Trevor Bauer and they don't have legitimate, concrete proof, you better watch out because he's the kind of guy that will sue the vi- the <laughs> baseballs. Like, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, he will, he will not just take his suspension and shut up.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: the wrong guy to try to pull one over on, is what I'm
0: saying. I I agree. This should be a pretty good series series this weekend, though, here in Cincinnati, between the Reds and the Indians. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Without a doubt, I think it'll be a good
0: one. Well, we'll talk to you on Monday, Blake. All right, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Uh, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here this evening. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Join us again next Monday night at seven and all the time on the archives on ultimatesportstalk.com. Until next week, next Monday night for Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody.